The Holy Gospel according to John, the 15th chapter. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I live in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. This is the gospel of our Lord. Please be seated. Thanks be to God. Well, grace and blessings from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Abide in me. Strong words. Dear saints, I'd assume that we've all asked ourselves that lifelong question. What is the purpose of life? Why are we here? What are we doing? How do we make sense of all of this? And even as good Christians, we ponder the same. What is the purpose? Or maybe even more accurate, what is the formula? What do I need to do? What is the if then? If I do this and will this happen? Or will I get this? What do you think? What is the purpose of your life? We even look to the Bible and try to apply some form of acronym to it as an instruction book, perhaps. What is the purpose? What does this mean for me? One might point to the Bible verse that is loved by so many and so often quoted from Jeremiah 29. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Now that can be tempting, don't you think? Often referred to as the prosperity gospel. Once again, what's in it for me? Dear saints, I'll let you in on a little secret. The book, yeah, the book, the Bible, 
Well, it's not an instruction book. It's a history book. And it tells a story, the story that tells all stories. And some may even say that it contains secrets, mysteries. And that's true, but the secret's for everybody to know. It is a book, a revelation, and what is being revealed is the gift that has been given for you. From God alone, through Christ alone, and it's all for for you to hear and to share. Now, Jeremiah 29, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. God originally spoke those words to his people when they were in exile. They didn't think that that they had any hope of a future with God and were consigned to his judgment forever for their inability to produce the fruits of righteousness. They had consistently made their own plans and he, they had left God out of them. What's in it for me? Throughout their history, they persistently refused to listen to God, even stoning the prophets. Their cold and callous dispatch of God's messengers revealed their disregard for God himself. They did not want to submit to him. They just wanted their own way. They turned to themselves, their own idols, and the gods of their pagan neighbors, trusting that they would give them a prosperous future. Useless idols that could not hear or bless Forgive nor save. And so as Adam and Eve didn't listen to God and were expelled from the Garden of Eden, God exiled his people to Babylon. Yet although his people had forsaken him, God remembered his promise to them. His judgment would not be the end. He had a purpose for them. Plans to prosper them and give them hope, new hope, a new future, a future with him. Why? Simply because they were the people God had chosen to be his own. They were like a vine that a vine dresser had planted to be prosperous, just as Psalm 80 pictures Israel, the church. It reads, you transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea, its shoots as far as the river. While God's people lamented their city and temple being attacked and set ablaze, verses 12 through 16 of the psalm, well, they would have hit particularly hard here. Why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass by it pick its grapes? Boars from the forest ravage it and insects from the fields feed on it. Return to us, God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see. 
Watch over the vine, the root your right hand has planted. Your vine is cut down. It is burned with fire at your rebuke. Your people perish. Then the psalmist leads the people to appeal to God, to cry to God, to pray to God. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand. The son of man you have raised up for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us and we will call on your name. Restore us, Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. And I tell you, God did make his face shine on his people. He did look upon them with favor and he gave them hope. The son of man, Christ, raised up God's people of Israel and for the whole world was in his son, Jesus Christ, who sent into the world. In today's gospel reading, Jesus teaches that he is the true vine God has planted into the world. Where Israel, the church, had failed in producing good fruit, Christ has not. He has listened to his Father and he has produced the fruit of righteousness. He did remain in him. He did abide in him. Now the setting for today's text, it goes back into chapter 13 of John where Jesus is in the upper room with the disciples on the night of his betrayal, Monday, Thursday. Jesus has already washed his disciples' feet and they have celebrated the Passover together where Christ institutes a new Passover meal, breaking bread and saying, this is my body given for you and passing them the cup and saying, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. Now he is about to go with his disciples across the Kidron Valley and to enter the Garden of Gethsemane. There in the garden with his faithfulness to his father's word, Jesus overturns what Adam and Eve's unfaithfulness brought into the Garden of Eden as he prays, not my will, Father, but yours be done. I will abide in you. Jesus has perfectly obeyed his father's will, even to the point of dying on a cross. There, the true vine of Israel, the sinless one who had produced the fruit of righteousness for the world, took upon himself the sin of the world and suffered the fate of the unfruitful branch in our place cut off and thrown into the fire as it were when he hung on the cross and he cried out, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Upon his outreached arms, he bore all of the failings, the guilt, the shame of this world. And he changed places with us there where he took it all from us and gave us his Righteousness, his holiness, his purity to rescue us from our just sentence of death and to give life to the world. 
before he departed the upper room to go to the cross and beyond. Jesus teaches his disciples the necessity for them to remain in him. They are not to fall to temptation, that they are left to cope by themselves and that they must carry on Jesus' mission and ministry by their own strength. No, that's not it. He says to his disciples, I am the vine. You are the branches. Just as the branch is not able to bear fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, neither are you able to unless you remain in me. Everyone who remains in me and I in them will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you are able to do nothing. Jesus warns them not to forget that they are entirely, entirely dependent on him to produce the good fruit that God requires. I am the vine. You are the branches. Remain in me. Jesus says to his disciples to remain in Christ means that the disciples are already in him and he in them. They do not have to produce fruit in order to become disciples. They're already his disciples. Jesus has chosen and called them to himself and made them holy by his word. You are already clean by the word that I have spoken to you. Dear saints, what Christ does right here is so amazing. And be careful not to miss this. Jesus takes two pronouns, I and me, and he claims them for himself as his proper name. Let that sink in especially when we're constantly asking the question, what's in it for me? What am I supposed to do? What is my purpose? Well, there it is. It's not about you. It's about him. Call it what you may. It might be a wordplay, but Christ has proclaimed that the greatest of all commandments, well, it's the first one. You shall have no other gods. It's not about you. It's about him. Abide in him. They are to remain in him. That will be so important in the days ahead of them when Christ is nailed to a cross and it looks anything like God is really in control and chaos and evil seemingly will triumph. When the shepherd is struck and the sheep are scattered, it will be so important for them to remain in him. The good shepherd, abide in him. How will they remain in Christ even as he dies? Through his word. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, where the word of God is spoken, its author will always be present. And so through his teaching, Christ will make his home with them. 
Jesus promises the same for you here today. Christ is here saying to us, I am the vine. You are the branches. Everyone who remains in me and I in them bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in me. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you will and it will be done for you. What is God's purpose for your life? To remain in God's word and therefore to abide in Christ himself for apart from the Trinity, you can do nothing. Jesus doesn't want us detached from the vine, from the cross, from him. He wants you to really know him as he meets you in his word and he keeps feeding you with the substance of it. There he lavishes in his blessings on us, nurturing us, guiding, providing for us, comforting us, leading us to rest and refreshment with him as he walks with us through his word, strengthening and maturing our faith, increasing the fruit that comes from our justification by faith alone and his works, his fruits are sanctified. Branches of a vine that are cut from it will be unable to produce fruit and will only wither and die because they have no means of receiving the nutrients from the root system through the trunk. Think about that. Has anybody seen a branch just laying on the ground, still growing and producing fruit? That's why the devil, the evil foe, does not want you to remain in Christ. Spiritual attack is not just through terrorists blowing up buildings, through wars, through crime, through oppression, or through a virus. It is in everyday lives of Christians, usually in very subtle ways. He whispers to us, he causes doubt, and quite simply, Satan wants us to lose focus on Christ and where he promises to be found. He does not want us to have a daily relationship with Christ who sends us his spirit to guide you into all truth as he walks with us through his word. He does not want us to come to worship and to hear the declaration of God's grace that we are clean and forgiven. He does not want us to receive his sacraments where a crucified, risen Savior hosts us as his guest in the most holy of meals, where the Holy Spirit is imputed to us and fed, and we are gifted with the forgiveness from God of all there is seen and unseen. The devil does not want us to remain in Christ by reading and hearing his word. He does not want us to stand here before God in whose name you are baptized, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to be anointed, to be adopted, cleansed and blessed by him. The evil foe does not want us to remain in Christ through his word. For there Jesus sends you the Holy Spirit to renew your heart through the gospel, through the good news of Christ. God's will is for the fruit of the Spirit to abound in your life. 
not only for our sake, but for the sake of Christ's church, the flock, and the world around us. So that pride submits to forgiving others. Our hurtful words are replaced by praise and encouragement. Our self-interest melts into seeking the interests of others. And like our Lord, we pray to our Father for his will to be done. Even when that comes at our own personal cost. Abide in him. None of this, none of this makes us righteous or worthy before God. But Christ is our righteousness. And he has earned God's favor for us. And that's it. That's the secret. That is what is revealed and what we are called to reveal to our neighbors. Yes, there are a lot of instructions in the Bible. Commandments. The law. But on the cross, Christ himself proclaimed that it is finished. The law has been fulfilled. The commandments, they no longer exist as some form or formula for you. It's not about you and it's your what's in it for me. It's about Christ and his cross. It is about how we are supposed to love and care for our neighbors. The law is no longer there for us to obtain for our own righteousness. But because of the gift of our forgiveness, won on the cross by Christ alone, it is how we love and reveal to our neighbor the secret, what we know and what we believe, Christ and him crucified for our sake and for theirs. Christ has made us holy. He has already made us clean through the word that he has spoken. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And of course, all of the other wonderful things that he promised and he proclaims through the scriptures, which we have heard throughout all of the years, the good news, the gospel. This This is our mission. This is our vision, the great commission to share this, to reveal this secret with everyone that we encounter, to make them disciples and to bring them to their own anointment and adoption into the flock, into the family, into the church with their baptism, to abide in. In him. The the reading that we just had with Philip and the eunuch, it's so good. And I could read it over and over again because he says that he cannot understand without someone to guide him. Think about that. That's that's you. That's you, the disciples of God, the chosen ones. Guide them. 
take them to the word, bring them to the cross, connect them to the vine. He has given us a new status and a new identity. We are credited with Christ's own righteousness. Listen, his own righteousness as if we had lived a perfect life ourselves. That is why we can rejoice with the exiles at God's promise through Jeremiah. That he indeed has a purpose for your life, which he has now revealed to all the people in Christ Jesus to prosper, to give us hope, new hope, and a new future with God forever. The fruits to which we prosper, well, it's more souls brought to belief and guided to faith. Through God, we walk with Christ, with him and the Holy Spirit, fulfilling the great commission with them, bearing many fruits and making many new disciples, always putting God first. That is the purpose. Your purpose is his purpose. He is your why. Yahweh, abide in him. And may that give you peace. May that peace, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.